UX Podcast Episode 64. This is UX Podcast, balancing business, technology, and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. I'm James Roy Lawson. And I'm Pat Axboom. I'm getting into those intros, but I'm, I'm now, I've got that kind of presenter slide now. So, um, I'm James Roy Lawson. <laughs> I, I'm not sure that's, that's a good wonderful. trend. Oh, I'm not convinced. Hello. Working on our radio voices here. <laughs> and I've got a cold, so I've got, I'm, I'm extra deep today, apparently. Mm. Sounds pretty good, actually. Thank you. Mm. Whiskey. <laughs> We should always have a whiskey before we record it. Oh, yeah. Mm. Now, there's a new, re- new Year's resolution mm. for us. We should drink before presenting. <laughs> it seems like it was only yesterday we were sitting here. This, these weeks have gone by so fast. It's been Christmas and New Year's, and we're off to a great start for 2014, where I've had so many plans for what I was going to accomplish during these weeks, and I've done nothing. Nada. Well, <laughs> Sit. You've enjoyed yourself. You've been skiing. Yeah, I have. Mm. Uh, I had a birthday party for my son yesterday as well. And so, mm. yeah. Been really busy with other stuff. Well, yeah. Offline. Yeah. Which is good. Mm. A little bit offside. Now the, yeah. Oh, no, without getting into a whole different topic and different show, the, the interesting thing there about being being offline without force, being naturally offline. I had a conversation about this um, mm. yesterday or the day before, um, about whether you should force yourself to be offline for a period. And I said, no, I don't think so. I think it's better if you, if you end up naturally being offline. That You end up with so much other stuff to do, you don't have time to, to do all the tweeting and Facebooking mm. and reading of stuff. And that's kind of what happened to me during Christmas. I end up just doing so many other things, enjoying myself. I, you know, online stuff managed to fall down the list. Well, that's pretty that was good. good. Yeah. I heard someone on the radio this morning who forgot her charger when she left for her mm. <laughs> family home. And so she naturally did not have access. And it was bad for a couple of days, but then after that, it was like yeah. pure bliss. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure. Anyhow, mm-hmm. today we are doing a link show, starting the year with a link show. Yes, we are. Yeah. And um, we have three shows. Oh, three shows? Three, three, three articles, articles. Three articles lined up for you, as usual. Uh, the first one will be about fonts. We yeah. haven't talked a lot about fonts before, but it's, it's not pretty a huge cool. amount. But yeah, why we still need web safe fonts. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then the m- next one is about personality, designing personality. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, to finish off, we will be looking at the top UX predictions for 2014. Of course. Of course. We yeah. are. And, and keep listening, because mm-hmm. at the end of that, me and Per will try and eke out some of our own. Little of course. Predictions. We'll we'll finish off with the right predictions, of course. Ooh, mm. there we go. <laughs> How could we possibly not deliver on that promise? <laughs> so the first article is about, or uh, yeah, fonts, and it's by Alexander Dawson, who's Alex Dawson UK on Twitter. And you and I, when we saw his name, we both realized, haven't we mentioned this guy's have. articles before? I think we've talked about Alex's mm-hmm. articles before. I tweeted with him before, I think, mm-hmm. but I haven't. I haven't found when and where, but um, I think we have. <laughs> but this is an article about about fonts. It's on sixrevisions dot com, and um, he takes us through some of the history of the font phase rule and the ability to actually have 
not only the browser default fonts or the, the usual fonts that we play with on the web, like Arial and Times New Roman and Helvetica, but now having the full, well, the Google Fonts API and uh, access to a whole lot of different fonts that you can actually load into the browser and make available to your viewers and users. Uh, and we see a lot of that. We've, I mean, I think it's the past two years, almost every website has done some some sort of their own font rendering in titles and body text. Yeah. We, we've um, had different ways of implementing this in the past. People mm. have used Flash and different techniques to actually have their own fonts because mm. fonts, in the end, actually, they they make an impression and, they, and they'll actually make an impact on the personality of your website, as we'll talk about later well, as well. Yeah, we mentioned in previous shows that the typography and, and dealing with fonts is a truly specialist area. I mean, I think both me and you have mentioned when the times when I remember the first time I worked with someone who was really knowledgeable about fonts. It's a it's an eye opener. It is. I mean, it's amazing when you actually work with someone who mm. knows that oh, between the the I and the O in that font or whatever, or between two certain letters and I and L in that font, you need to adjust the kerning so oh, it's the close together and mm. oh, you realise that it's a lot more complicated than just typing some text in and choosing yeah. highlighting and choosing Arial. And when you don't know a lot about fonts, you're going to go, oh, well, that doesn't really matter. No, exactly. And then you realize when you do user testing that it does matter. Yeah. <laughs> and we, we've had the whole thing with web-safe fonts. Um, I mean, that from the earliest days of the web, we, we, we had this fight to work out, well, now what can we use that will work on Netscape and um, Mosaic and, and, and Link and all the, all the, well, all these different browsers that we... And on, on these uh, on Windows and Mac, Windows these, and Mac, and, they have these and Mac users. I remember Unix. back in the day. Why would why do we yeah. have to care about the Mac users? That's, oh, that's awesome. silly. Yeah. And there was only a handful that kind of all. In fact, it was always a bit of a myth. Web safe fonts were never really safe, right? Because there was never truly something. You weren't. You couldn't be sure, one hundred percent certain no, that they would work. Never really across could. the board. No. Well, and and the thing with across the board that yes, maybe you found a font that worked in the browsers on Windows, or mm. maybe there was one font that worked on two browsers across two OSs. But finding something that worked mm. on um, Unix or Linux, um, Mac and mm. Windows back in the day, mm. it wasn't straightforward. Mm. And also, of course, they were rendered differently in different browsers yes. and on different operating yes. systems. And you had clients going, well, hang on, that line break is different than the one we had over there. Because... Back in that day, people wanted pixel perfect. They also wanted line breaks to look exactly the same across the yeah. board as well, which was basically impossible. And a whole mm. lot of the what you, people thought were web-safe fonts, they were actually Microsoft-packaged versions of particular yeah. fonts. Um, so you couldn't have exactly the same font somewhere else mm. because you know, Microsoft owned them. <laughs> okay, so what Alex is telling us is that things can go bad if we don't have a web safe font among our font stack. If the, the font stack is that list of fonts where you say that the body text should be this font, there's a popular font called Lobster, for example. But if you only say that you want the Lobster font and that has... Oh, sorry, I was like breathing and you paused as if I was yeah. going to say something. Which, That's okay. Yeah. Uh, so in the, the font stack is about, is about list, listing many fonts for the body text. So you list Lobster, and then you list Arial, then you list Helvetica, and then you list uh, Sans Serif, which basically means choose any font, the best font for having no serifs, which is those small little, uh, what do you call them? 
tails well, on the yeah when he's got the on the uh, letters so, yeah. there's basically if you there's script fonts there's sans serif fonts and there's serif fonts well i'm going to assume that people know what this is because it's hard to describe on yeah, a podcast well, yeah, <laughs> i suppose we've we've hopped over font face as we have to font face is a thing that's and mm-hmm. with css that's basically allowed us mm-hmm. to to pull in mm-hmm. quite successfully mm-hmm. whichever font we like mm-hmm. into web pages and use them mm-hmm. um, then the font stack is when you list all the fonts that you've mm-hmm. said in in a CSS definition. Right. So the problem is here is that a lot of people are just loading the font that they want and are yeah. not caring about listing the whole font stack. They're thinking, now that we've we got mm. Google Fonts and we mm. can choose Lobster or whichever mm. one you want, you want um, then that's it. That's the one we're using. Mm. You know, Everyone has access to Google and the internet. We'll just use mm. it. And he even says that 90% of internet users use a browser that supports font face, yeah. which is interesting in itself. And then you go... And you may be thinking, well, okay, then we'll just use the font that I want. Mm-hmm. And so, what are the problems, James? <laughs> oh, well, one of the one of the problems um, is incomplete fonts. That if you if you do pull in a a, a font um, that's not one of the web surf ones, um, it might be the case that not every character you use is available in it. And this is particularly relevant for people like us who work with international exactly. audiences or um, uh, not completely English languages like Swedish. We've mm-hmm. we've got three three extra letters in the alphabet, mm-hmm. uh, which of course creates six um, very uh, new characters mm-hmm. compared to the standard set. Um, and there's even various letters we are accents on some. We use we've maintained the accents of some words, exactly. import words, mm-hmm. loan words. Um, and if those if those special characters are not included in the special font you've used, then the browser will fall back to the n- to a, the next um, font in the stack yeah. for that character. Yeah. So and there, if there's there is no other font in the stack, it will just use choose the one. browser default one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you could have end up with effectively like a Times New Roman t- t- looking font in the middle of a word hmm. if that was a letter that wasn't. You know, expected in the original font or wasn't included in the yep. original font. Uh, and that's difficult from mm. a design point of view. This is actually quite a difficult thing to, to at times, to um, uh, foresee. Mm-hmm. Because when you do, you know, if you sit there and you produce a website and then suddenly a company maybe rolls it out to 10 different countries and, you know, Greece and Spain right. and, you know, France, mm. um, oh, did you really test that all of their special characters were actually included? Mm. That's really Do you even know point. what they are? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's um, so, again, also always test. Yeah. So that's but that's that's a that's a difficulty with having incomplete fonts, um, mm. and that you will get this mixed font rendering um, in various places. Um, the example that um, Alex gives there is with um, with the TM, the trademark. Yeah. Character. <laughs> the um, funny thing is, I was looking at those two images he had, and I couldn't see the difference at first. You couldn't. <laughs> oh. Well, I was I wasn't sure. Can. Look, it's serif and not. Serif. I wasn't sure what I was looking for. Ah. Because I scrolled down, and I saw the image, and I, so what's the point he's making here? Yeah. And then I saw this small, tiny trademark symbol had the wrong font, and maybe that example for me was belittling it. You're belittling it now. There was not a big sell, sale, uh, sell to me. No, that's why yeah. I found the language thing. Yeah, to, I, to upsell. Completely agree with there you. There you go. The other thing is, of course, that if you are using a font that's not on the person's computer, the font has to load. Yes which means that it can take longer to load websites. And he also mentions in passing, which I thought was interesting, that Chrome's default behavior is that it shows no font while it's loading. It's not just Chrome. All really? of, okay. all, pretty much all of them do it now. Mm. It's, it's white space. Yeah. So if it's taking long to load the font, then you're going to have 
an empty web page until the whole font is loaded and it actually loads yep. into the page. And this annoys the hell out of me, mm. especially in mm. responsive websites. Ah. Because um, when you're traveling on the train mm. or you're out there on mobile, you've got your responsive site and you've got downloaded fonts from wherever. Mm. Um, all the browsers now, including the mobile ones, they allocate space. They know how much space to allocate for the font because you've defi- defined it in the CSS with its size and so on. Um, so they allocate white space for the font and it will flash it will flash into place it all come visible when the font is downloaded and it can be actually finished rendered mm. when it should be rendered um now i the example of an example of this i think is um uh, gigaom.com okay. the technology website mm-hmm. tech website that i don't know i haven't dug into exactly the the font stack and why it's doing it but th- that's one for me that i see regularly that i load it cuz it's one that i read it on the tablet when i'm traveling around and i, I think oh What's happened? It can be several seconds from when the page is loaded, including pictures, mm. and it's just just white everywhere. And I can scroll down the page. Oh, wow. I can get to the bottom of the page, mm. and then suddenly it kind of flashes into place. Mm. And I've actually changed. I've tried different browsers because mm. I thought it was a bug in the browser I was using. So mm. I switched to a different browser. And no, then I realised, oh, it's just waiting because you have you don't really cache these things on. Um, well, a cache is. Mm a bit of a myth really most of the browsers don't really cache much at all it's very small um, so it loads it every single time uh, every new session so I'm thinking now is that because they don't have a font stack or is it because they have a font face loaded and for, yeah we have to analyze that yeah, exactly I didn't get yeah. as far I, mean, yeah. I, I guess they've not got they probably don't have well, uh, fallback fonts but the problem is there that I had connectivity mm. so so the web well in Chrome in this case um, knew that I had connectivity tries to download the font mm. and the the, da- the timeout for the font obviously is substantial mm. it's not like oh, if we can't get it in two seconds we're giving up mm. it, it will in a, in a mobile environment it will keep on trying for probably I don't I mean, it's obviously tens of seconds before it gives up on the font and the browser then falls back mm. I actually have no idea how long a timeout the browsers have for downloading fonts right but it's not seconds mm. it's not just a couple of seconds mm. it's several so if you have any font that's downloaded from somewhere, mm. it, it is a potential risk that um, oh it doesn't appear straight away. Right. And also, just ha- increasing loading times. He has the mm. example of it can potentially increase loading times by 10% having like, a large number mm. of special fonts on your web page. Yeah. And so... There so will, just to yeah. put a mention in for the, th- the, the third article, the trends one, mm-hmm. I think we're going to mention something related to this. That might help. Okay, cool. Mm. Uh, he has one suggestion as well that I want to mention real quick. Uh, when you load these fonts, you don't have to load the whole font family. That's another mistake yeah. people do. So that increases the load time. You load the whole font family, and the font family basically is it has variations of the thickness of the font and stuff like that. Yeah. And, and most websites only use one variation, so yeah. load only that variation. Otherwise, you're loading a lot of stuff that you're, you're not using. How do you do that? Do you do that by mentioning the actual um, kind of bold version yes. in the font stack rather than giving the yeah. family? Actually, on, on Google Fonts, it will show you how to do it. You, right. ju- you just select the font that you want, and it will sh- give, give you a code. Include, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's very good advice, because mm. you can save... I mean, most of these fonts, mm. they're around about 20k a pop. Yeah. 20 mega pop, I think. Is oh, 20k? 20k a pop. 20k, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It can't be 20 meg. That'd be ridiculous, James. <laughs> what am I saying? 20k. Um, so if you have... If there's like six in the bundle, mm. then you could quite easily get up to 100 right. extra k. Um, 
Well, there's not a whole lot of mention about mobile web browsers, but I'm thinking there's a will be a lot more problems on mobile web browsers as well. Yeah. Especially when you go down in font size and you have special fonts being loaded and you want probably maybe sometimes the default font to be activated. Yeah. Anywho. Anyhow. Um <laughs> Those are more things he mentions there, but you can read the article yourself. Yeah. Um, the good stuff. Smart guy, that Alex. Yeah. Um, but make sure you include um, some web safe fonts, mm. whatever they are, mm. um, and um, some kind of generic font family. We mentioned the yeah. generic font, font families. Oh, you mentioned them a bit in the beginning. You know, mm. the sans serif, serif, right. monospace, yeah. cursive, fantasy. Uh, these kind of ones. As long mm. as you at the end of your stack, at least include that. So you you fall back to something that is roughly the right yeah. style. Fantasy. Is there a fantasy one? But it's a, it's a grouping of, of the type of ones. Cool. I think it's more into the kind of weird. Yeah. They're, they're, they're more... Oh, I'm not going to try and define it. Um, I'm going to put fantasy. fantasy in all of my font stacks now as the last one. You are? Oh, God. <laughs> That'll be fun. So I spin the wheel, see what happens. <laughs> Moving on. Designing Personality by Kevin Young. Uh, works at Agency UX. This is an article on uxmatters.com. And Kevin is the Director of User Experience at Goodbye Silverstein and Partners in San Francisco. And uh, the article is about... We well, touched we, upon personality before. Sort yeah, of. when we had... Mm. Um, we, mm. we The last link show we had um, mm. in show 62, mm. um, we, we mentioned an um, article by Martin um, Gittins. Right. Um, his article was to do with desire, mm. uh, but our run through of his article talked an awful lot about. We talked an awful lot about brand personality, mm. adding personality websites. Um, so, well, so this was interesting. Mm. We saw this. It kind of um, and his article was more about making it fun and enjoyable and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, but it felt like this was mm. kind of relevant given that mm. we talked. We talked about a fair bit about personality yeah. when Martin was talking about mm. um, desire. Mm. So then this article talks mm. about how you could go about. The, the, the procedure, I suppose, for designing personality yeah. in your products and websites. Right. It's very structured and gives it templates and questions to ask yourself and stuff like that. And it's actually basically a, a trend that he's describing that we're moving from usability and efficiency in UX towards more, he's calling it desirability, seductiveness, persuasion. Mm. Uh, but now we want to also infuse personality into the website. So it's, and what do we mean by personality? It's yeah. it's really hard to describe. And he goes into talking about psychology and free will, <laughs> biology and <laughs> genetics, uh, and you know even the unconscious mind. Uh, and his piece of cake. His, 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 well, and then he boils it down to <laughs> that personality is what you say or think plus what you do, and tries to translate that into user interface plus functionality is the product personality. I saw that, and I, mm. I. Mm. I I wasn't completely convinced by it. Given what know, we just talked about, yeah. I think fonts are part of the personality as well. So well, that's why let's use interface. Mm, in a sense, yeah, but it's very okay. much visual design as well. Yeah, but the, the user included, interface he has okay. included visual design. So if you have to lump visual design yeah. as user interface in his True. formula. True. I was thinking interaction design, but functionality. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it, of course, it's hard to define. But for me, it's feeling like you ha- are having a conversation with a website, feeling that the mm. website is a person talking to you, making it fun. Mm. Uh, and the classic example is always MailChimp. I was, yeah, I was going to mm. say MailChimp. Mm. Um, MailChimp is still, mm. I think, the... the, the one, one good thing about mm. MailChimp is that they've 
um, they've got a, a, a product. So their brand and product, so their brand personality and product personality are the same thing. They're, well, same yeah. thing. They're, uh, it's harmonious. Exactly. Um, it's so, across the board. Yeah, <laughs> across the board. It's, um, <laughs> it's a bit easier for them maybe yeah. to, to stick to brand mm. or stick to the brand personality when they're rolling out things. Cause At the same time, I'm so impressed because, I mean, they don't only have one copywriter, or I assume they don't. And no. they're really good at even in the emails they send out, the reminders, yes. everything is mm. with, a, with a, I don't know, tongue-in-cheek mm. copywriting, which is really fun. Mm. Uh, not saying that that has to be the way that you include personality into your website. Uh, and that's what... Uh, well, this is an interesting point, maybe. When, when, is, when is personality not branding? It's a very good question, actually. Because, I mean, I, I constantly, mm. for me, I constantly fall back to saying, well, you know, adding personality to a product website, that's just branding. It is branding, but it's also about trying to form a, that's what he's saying here, you're forming that social relationship between the user and mm. the artificial ar- artificial thing, which is your app or your website. Mm. So there's a relationship being formed there, mm. which means that you're not going to choose another product before that because you've already have a connection it's brand loyalty. It is loyalty, exactly. It is, yeah. No, it's true. No, no, I, I, I'm, mm. I'm not trying to... Or product loyalty. Yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. being the, mm. the devil's advocate here. I'm, just, I'm more mm. just wondering, mm. I mean, exploring. Mm. I mean, someone out there maybe can help mm. help us there and define... I mean, is, is, there, is there a proper definition of difference there in, in this application? Mm. When If we add personality mm. websites, uh, can it be personality or is it actually just a, a, a flavor of branding? Mm. And can it have different personality? I'm thinking, can you mean you log onto a website and on that particular day it's angry? Yeah, or you have you, <laughs> you, day for the you can see that there are two people working with copywriting, and you you could see that oh that's I'm choosing that person, or I want to choose that person. Oh, actually, great idea! You know, like um, like train booking system mm-hmm. for train tickets. Mm-hmm. If they've got a problem with the booking system mm-hmm. that day, the personality is grumpy. So rather than actually rather than actually giving you a message saying exactly. our booking system mm. is down and trying to be really happy and mm. nice, mm. The, the website itself mm. is a bit peeved off yeah. because of course they're not happy because their booking mm. system's not working. So the website should express the grumpiness. Right. So if it's realizing itself that it's having a hard time loading or yeah. taking a long time yeah. loading, it's going to excuse itself and say, damn it, I'm oh, having God. a hard time waking up yeah. today. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, Love it. Oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but then the challenge, of course, is working that into... Because that's that's a great example, James. The ticket machine. Mm. So you have the website, you have the ticket machine, uh, and you have all these other touch points, as we call them, mm. with the user. And you have to work that copywriting into all the uh, different systems. Yeah. But you don't have the same person work, working with all those different yeah. systems. So you need some sort of guideline. This is the personality we want to have. And then it, you come into difficulties because do you employ people who have that personality or do people become actors? Or If you're a really good copywriter, probably you can take on a personality and, and write that way, but I'm, I'm not sure it's that easy. Yeah, exactly. The practical mm. implica- um, you know, uh, well, application of this is, is, is hard. If you think about some of the large organizations, you've already got a brand manual, you've already got um, uh, you know, some kind of brand definition that describes the company as a whole, mm. and it you know, you might not have the luxury of the fact that you're a web startup and like Mailchimp, where you've got a pure web product and the yeah. web product is the pan- brand of the whole company. You might be a, a an established company who's launching a new mm. product or a new website. Um, and how do you how do you design a personality for that website? Um, 
that's in line with the brand. Exactly. And people adhere to it and follow it over time mm. in their copywriting, mm. in all kinds of copywriting, whether it's a freelancer that you bring mm. in to do some journalism or uh, some mm. writing or, you know, uh, in-house people who are maybe writing microcopy for, mm. for buttons. It's a, it's, a, it's a challenge. And at the same time, making sure that you don't insult people or uh, talk down to people. It, it's, mm. it's a fine line when you, you're trying to make your copy more fun or make it more personal, mm. basically. You're, there's always that fine line where people may misunderstand it yeah. because they're used to being talked to in a certain way. And when you don't, they're going to be confused exactly. and maybe interpret it the wrong way. So when your ticket system's not working mm. and you have a, a machine that gives mm. you a grumpy error message because they're grumpy as well, mm. you can start a fight. Right. <laughs> but then you have to decide, what customers do I want? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so it's, it always comes down to that you can't satisfy everybody so maybe I mean having a beautiful website is fun is good it's better than having an ugly website but having an ugly website is better than having a, a website that doesn't say anything what I, what I really like about this except I mean I think the whole the whole procedure here that um, it describes um, is, is, is really well written it is. Uh, but I think it's going to be difficult for majority of it's very theoretical, and I think it's going to be difficult to put into practice in a lot mm. of situations, a lot of projects. Um, but what I do like, and what I do think you could use here, is um, is is the um, is describing the personality of your mm. pr- site or product. So, you know, we normally we we bang on about um, mm. you've got to have a goal. Mm. <laughs> um, you, you know, we do have a goal or a vision um, or a mission statement mm. for a company or or a product. Um, I, I like the fact that we could produce a persona. For the website, so like a reverse persona. Mm. So rather than have a persona for your users that are visiting the site, create a persona for your website itself. Right. No, I, actually, I love that. Yeah. And that might be enough as a stepping mm. stone mm. to producing mm. um, consistent microcopy mm. or consistent copy. Mm. It, it might just be enough to be, here's the persona of our website that we've written mm. and send that as part of your spec or part of your kind of, you know. Yeah, in a sense. But what I think people always forget when they do personas is that they have to be kept alive. Usually it's just mm, a dead document. Mm, and mm. what do you mean with yeah. this particular trait that this person has? And what he has a great personality design framework that he sets out in the article. But there's also the aspect of when do we talk about what these personalities actually say or do in different contexts? Like you were saying, maybe it's fun it's, if it's grumpy sometimes. Mm. But you need to have those workshops regularly mm. thinking about what would our website do if our website is called John? What would John do uh, in this situation? What would he say? Mm. And make sure that you all have a, a consensus around what that is. Well, that could be like a mm. sign-off thing, though. Mm. If, if you do have a, a persona for the site mm. and you do receive a deliverable of some copy, mm. then part of your sign-off is, okay, is this what my website persona would yeah, say? Yeah, but who, who decides? So there's a yeah. master copywriter that decides. Or, yeah, there's some kind of... Yeah. Yeah holder of the personality yeah and then basically some some i think it would be great if some of the programmers would also be in on this because Mm. in the end a lot of the developers do the error messages yeah and if they were given leeway to actually put some fun into that Mm -hmm. and knew how to do it and have lots of examples to draw from then you would save so much time as well and at the same time gain the benefits of having that personality yeah absolutely Mm. Uh, so we're not going to have time to go through the framework, but there were some tips that I, and there was one tip that I wanted to uh, mention since we were almost touching upon it is we don't have time to give the whole product or system or whatever a personality. 
but you start small and you start with the things that give the most benefit as always the high impact areas first but then also with the, with the stuff that you don't know what you're going to do with or you don't have time to do stuff with just yet make it neutral so it doesn't clash with the personality you're trying to give if it's neutral mm-hmm. that's okay mm-hmm. don't try to give it another personality or try to have fun with it mm-hmm. if you've decided one way stick with that one way do it in small areas first and then expand yeah and that's i mean that's what you should do with everything basically yeah. in the end test how it works how people react mm-hmm. and uh, then start expanding on that personality um treat the interaction as mm-hmm. a conversation Mm. was one of the tips that he gives me exactly and then, I mean I think we mentioned that a lot mm. a website is supposed to be a conversation yeah especially when you're talking about web forms and interactivity yeah well, task completion I thought as a mother example I mean, if you're waiting for something to load you could have a fun message written there I've, I've seen a website do that really good and you're, if you're unsubscribed to a newsletter don't just say you're unsubscribed I've seen some great examples where Oh my God! Uh, are we sending you too much email? Here are some other options for sending uh, emails uh, not as frequently. Whatever, mm. you make it fun. Mm. And there are so many touch points there that you you have uh, at your disposal that you you can make use of them to actually have people. Uh, well, again, it's what you're saying. It's brand loyalty. Mm. Become more loyal based on how, what you're writing and giving that personality. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to get people to stick around, and you bridge that social gap between tech and humans sort of be perceived as a friend which creates brand loyalty which is nice mm. although it's not all situations you want to be perceived as a friend but that we won't <laughs> there's no point that's that. another show it's another show <laughs> <laughs> but I agree should we move on to the third I think we should go for it the top UX predictions for 2014 I'm gonna. Oh no! Go on. I was just gonna launch straight into being a grumpy old man. <laughs> but I'll wait. I'll wait. There's no minutes. single author for this. It's called the UX Magazine staff as the author. So. Yeah, and that's because it's, it's basically been, a load it, of quotes from different people. Yeah, it's been put together. together. Yeah. Now I'm these whole top list nonsense. <laughs> I am. Mean, I, um, <laughs> this whole, is not a top list though. It's just a list of. It's a really it long top list. UX predictions. It says it says top, and it's a list. And yeah. Okay, but it's not. Yeah, and also, you're this right. was this was done on the back of. Looking, the the article before this um, on US Magazine basically was um, looking back in two thousand on the trends of two thousand mm. or twenty thirteen, uh, and we're at that time of year where mm. everyone pushes out lists, and we've got all kinds of nonsense lists and and just because you didn't have time to do yours, James. No, but no one <laughs> reads anything at this time. They don't, everyone's. I mean, we all know anyone with access to your 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 uh, statistics, your, your Google Analytics accounts for all these sites. We know full well that blogs just tumble mm. through the floor mm. during this time of year. Um, it's and my cloud score, man, my cloud score. Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, no, so I, I get all grumpy about these uh, kind of articles because it's just a lot of hot air and 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 this whole thing about you know suddenly oh midnight on the thirty first of December first January all the trends change and suddenly we've got a whole new load of trends to deal with because it's January hmm. balls. <laughs> <laughs> so let's just skip this article. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, uh, no, it was, it was me that actually picked this one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I actually had it on we, my list as well. We actually, um, yeah. uh, a year ago, if we can think back that far, mm. um, we actually um, um, we actually went through um, design trends for 2000 or 2013. Mm. Um, uh, and so it's kind of interesting that we picked up this one, <laughs> or picked up another mm. list article with 
friends uh, to discuss this time. Of course, which we hate. <laughs> we? Oh, good. You're joining me on that. No, way. I was just making fun of you. All right. Okay. Damn, I thought I had a, mm. a brother in arms there. <laughs> so, which ones are you going to take? You're going to actually take... There's a whole load... Oh, no. this, this, this article actually There's too many is, um, to go through. It's... it's mm. um, it, it takes comments and opinions from several um, people. And they're, they're very... They're very different, a lot of these mm. um, um, trends, uh, UX trends, or UX predictions. Mm. Um, so it's not just like last year we covered design trends. Uh, it mm. was purely design that, that article was focused on. Whereas this time it's um, it's UX in general, which means mm. it, it kind of explodes out into everything. Yeah, It's it's really left, right, center, up, down, um, all over the place. Uh, I think... I've seen some themes, but there is there's the UX profession where actually people gain more traction as a UXer. They get more involved in strategy earlier and often. They get we see more people having degrees in customer service and customer experience. Yeah. And stuff the rise like of the Pegasus. This is interesting because mm-hmm. we'd actually did um, we featured this author and article on another link show. Did um, we? Yeah, um, episode fifty four. Um, James and Pearl become unicorns. You've done your homework. Um, yeah. <laughs> The um, it was when we wrote that article that we mm. discussed, I think. Um, and he's really, he's giving mm. his, he's a little it's a little summary of his article mm. actually that he's put in here as his trend for twenty fourteen. Um, and well, if you want to if you want to hear more about his whinge about the whole Pegasus mm. unicorn thing, listen to episode fifty four. Yeah, because we we rant about it a fair <laughs> bit, um, and we didn't completely mm. agree with him. Mm. That's our thing. We don't really agree with anyone else. Someone's <laughs> going to disagree with someone. What was that you said at the beginning before we started recording? If you put it out there, then you have to. If it's in the public domain, then yeah. you're fair game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Let's hop on to icons. I know oh, you yeah. want to say something about well, this iconography. Is what we mentioned, yeah. This is what we mentioned um, in the first article when we were talking about the web fonts. Mm. Um, we were talking about... Um, um, you mentioned um, uh, icons and... and that it always help people, and that you have to learn them, and mm. it's not always clear what they mean, and, and it is. It can be a it hinder is. rather than a, a, an advantage. And one of the one of the trends or predictions for 2014 here was um, um, responsive iconography. Um, Jason um, Cranford, uh, Jason Cranford, Jason Crawford Teague um, mentions that, um, and I particularly like though the um, the web font iconography. Um, this is where. Um, you, well, like you have um, icons, basically, um, in a web font, rather mm. than having them as graphics separately loaded, or even as a sprite or something. Mm. And if you're familiar with Bootstrap, Bootstrap, the framework, does that as well. Yeah. yeah. And I know it's, it's happening more and more. It's a good yeah. prediction, because uh, this is an incredibly mm. efficient way of, of, of including icons mm. in your site, because... Oh, you're downloading a font. If mm. you're, you can only mm. another one. It's twenty k, and there's a whole range of them there, mm. um, and they're vector based. Yeah. Um, so you get the right size. You know, you're, you're they work on retina the, screens. Yeah, you're falling mm. into the mm. natural mm. Uh, or the more natural mm. um, uh, drawing and and um, rendering of the page because mm. it's just a font, um, pure it's pure CSS and text. Mm. Um, but then um, it's also tying into what you say about um, people learning. Um, it becomes standard. If, you, if you're if you using a particular web font with a particular set of icons, you're increasing the chance that people reuse the same mm. icons. Bootstrap being an example there. Mm. You've got a lot more sites using certain icons mm. now because Bootstrap has those icons included. Oh, that's true. So, so Which makes me think that we don't need these visual designers because they don't 
they make things more difficult for people mm. because they want to make put their own feeling in yeah. <laughs> and, and and their own design on stuff. Mm. But if the developers get to build with frameworks, then we get a consistent iconography. Mm. I mean, to one of the things that a lot of cases, it, you know, we we need a we need an icon for something that is as stable as a, mm. uh, how the letter A looks. Mm. Exactly. That's what we're searching for, really. Right. Like the, the basic smiley is a basic smiley. It's two eyes, a, a nose, and a mouth. Right? How, exactly how you present that you know, can be anything from a colon a dot and a bracket mm. to a, a, a yellow ball. Mm. Um, but how but people interpret that, how people interpret that, you're not going to be sure of. They may understand it, no. but how they actually make it, make, how it makes them feel yeah, but will, that's an will be very different. That's an emotion like, it's emotional. Yeah, it's, but, it's that, but for a, me, a it's, button, fun, it's not it's, an action. Yeah, like. but it's funny how you picked up on, on the font loading stuff. Yeah. And I picked up on, because he's saying more, we're going to be seeing more icons and more simplified interfaces mm. with more icons and in the interfaces. I don't like that. No. I think he may be right, but I don't like it because yeah. people are going to misunderstand a lot and people are going to be asking me questions. What does this mean? What does this mean? But if we build in affordance, mm. then isn't that okay? It's like we see, you know, I see my daughter, um, you know, she's what, seven and a half. Um, and so she's here in Sweden. She's just mm. starting to get good at reading. Um, and, and she sees when she clicks on it, she backs up. She, you know, it's back and forth, back and yeah, forth. She learns really quickly. And, and as, long as, as long as you don't, as long as you give the affordance that you mm. can... Back. But yeah, yeah, but your daughter's yeah. not a good example. No, We're talking about forty, fifty years old or yeah, and, yeah. and above. Oh, no, she's those are the example, people with the problems. Yeah, your daughter's going to get anything. Yeah, but we're talking mm. about predictions for the future. Mm. <laughs> and looking forward. Yeah, then you know, exactly. Uh, no, the so we don't icons. care about the people who'll die in twenty years. No, we don't. No, no. <laughs> they're already dead. <laughs> dead to me. But uh, <laughs> Hannah Shank actually in the next prediction. And she talks about overuse of the navigation icon, oh, which I couldn't agree more the with. The hamburger. And, and she, she's making my point. People don't understand. If even that icon, mm. which we've talked about before as well. We actually talked mm. about in the Design Trends yeah. show last year. Uh, even that icon, which is used all over the place, mm. not everyone understands it. Mm. She makes a fair point, though. It's inconsistently used in different interfaces. It's but it's, it's still the same icon. It's those three lines. and It's the hamburger icon with the three lines. Mm. People don't understand it. Why the hell don't people just write menu? Mm. That's what I'm saying. Mm. I don't want the icon. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're not agreeing with me. No. <laughs> no, because it could become, you know, it's like a floppy disk mm. for save. It, it has the chance of becoming something that is standard. Maybe. But, yeah. it's, but you're right. Getting there is difficult because, um, as you see in this example, it's, it's, it's used and abused and the variations just get confusing and you can't be sure. Mm. Um, but then you can you can be just as inconsistent using words. One one example there that something that bugs me daily mm. is, I think in Flipboard, um, it says um, view in browser. I think mm-hmm. the option on the little menu. If yeah. you if you don't want to view an article in Flipboard, you want to yeah. pull it out into a real browser on your tablet mm-hmm. or whatever. You view in browser. Mm. Now in Zite, mm. you've got view in browser, mm. and no the view on web. I think is maybe the example how this mm. works. I think it's view on web in Flipboard. And then in, it's view in, in browser on site and view on web. They've got both options. Okay. And I click wrong every single time because their interpretation of view on web and view on mm. browser um, is different to Flipboard's. Mm. One of them means in their own browser. Mm. One of them means in external browser. Ah, okay. So, mm. so, you even, so even with the same words, you can be inconsistent. Yes. But so on, if you've got a restaurant website page mm. and you've got an option that says menu... What does it mean? 
See, got you there. <laughs> oh, that smug face, man. <laughs> <laughs> I should take a picture of that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. The what one, do you want to talk about next? Well, I want to talk about the, the thing, actually, that drew me most of this um, article um, was Stephen Hooper's, um, Stephen Hooper's um, prediction mm. uh, saying, building an internet of silos. Mm. I, I really like this. And love it. Um, he's saying internet of things yeah. won't happen. Well, not really. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's That's saying, what he's saying. Uh, like what really ha- working? It won't really happen in the way what you think it mm-hmm. will happen. Um, he, he says he's an avid follower of the internet of things and he, oh, he really likes the idea that he can get all these things together. And when um, people talk about internet of things, they're talking about your microwave, talking to your wristwatch, talking to... Your fridge, to your car. Yeah, to your doorbell and whatever. Or, yeah, everything. Everything is interconnected. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everything is online. And what he's saying is the APIs won't be that open, mm. so they won't be talking to each other because everything will be a silo. Yeah, and he's, mm. and he's completely right. And this is actually, I actually would like to do a whole show about this. Mm. I think we've, I mean, we've created a monster. We are creating a monster. Mm. And it's not going to work. We already mm. see it doesn't work. I mean, I, I, I had the problem again yesterday that the streaming radio wouldn't work properly. We don't have an mm. FM radio anymore in our living room. Right. Which drives my wife crazy. Mm-hmm. Because before... You turn on the radio, and it would work. <laughs> right? You, it would work. It was. It's a very simple yeah. electronic circuit. It picks up a radio wave and it trans. It mm. basically pushes it out for the speaker. Yeah, pretty much. Whereas now, if the streaming radio doesn't work, how do, how do I work out the problem? It could be the smart TV, which is the least smart thing in the world I own. Mm-hmm. Um, it could be my router. Mm. It could be that the kids are watching too many high-definition Netflix films on all the tablets that we've got now. Yeah. It could be my broadband provider. It could be that there's been a cable fire in a tunnel somewhere and that the, the radio station's internet provider mm. themselves have got bandwidth issues. Mm. It could be that the radio station itself is broken. You know, this is just like six reasons yeah. straight away when I'm sat there and you know the radio stopped working. And that's, just, that's an example just with a streaming radio. Uh, another example is that you, you've tried at least two of these wrist um, yeah. you know, health monitor wrist things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm wearing my Flex right now. Yeah, yeah. and I'm wearing my jawbone up right mm. now. If I decide to switch to a Flex, mm. how do I migrate? No, you're absolutely right there. Silo. Yeah. I've, got a, I've got a whole pile of mm. data mm. with jawbone that there is absolutely no export function whatsoever from jawbone, jawbone mm-hmm. up. And even if there was, there's no guarantee that it's in any shape or form... That data is any shape or form that could be pushed into... No, you can't really yeah. convert the one to the other. Yeah. You could be using something like... Because I, I'm sort of impressed, though, by how RunKeeper and MyFitnessPal and these others actually allow you to uh, mm. push out some data mm. and have, like, uh, if this, then that, allows you to have triggers mm. based on data from our wristbands. So there is some kind of openness. There's yeah. some sort of control in there between... And there is data being pushed out and shared between these. And I, I have my scale at home that actually pushes up to RunKeeper and my fitness pal as well and back to, back to Flex. So there's, there's integration, there absolutely. Think about mm. how many hours you've spent integrating products that you've bought. Fair point. Think about how mm. much time you spent mm. trying to migrate mm. something. And, and do, doing it for my family as well. Uh, and doing it in a way that mm. not just you can cope mm. with. This is a problem I have. I mean, mm. I do. there's lots of hacks and implementations I've got yeah. at home, which I can cope with. Yeah. Macros I've created on a remote control. And that's what you were saying with the radio. Your mm. wife hates it. I mean, you can she deal with it. it. She gets so angry. Yeah. 
and I can deal with it. I, I mm. get frustrated because mm. I'd like it to just work all the time. Yeah. And in theory, it should work all the time. Mm-hmm. But well, then, then I got the request, um, well, can we have a speaker in the kitchen? Mm. I thought, great, I'll just get a Bluetooth speaker for the kitchen. But you can't have external Bluetooth speakers connected to the smart TV. Right. You can transmit audio content from a Bluetooth device to the TV for it to play, but I can't get the audio. Do you know, you see, this is where the Internet of Things falls down, where we're creating a monster that is impossible. Mm. It's too complicated, and there's too many things. It takes too much Mm. time to make all this work together, and and to to standardise it in a way which makes all this happen Mm. easily and nicely could potentially, I think, kill some of the unique selling points for a lot of these devices. So therefore, the business model falls over. It's an excellent point uh, about limited ecosystems, Mm -hmm. keeping data in useless formats, uh, proprietary servers, yeah. But Mm -hmm. now we're going to get into our predictions. Mm -hmm. Um, One of my predictions there Mm -hmm. is that you know, I think the, the chaos will continue. (laughs) The Internet of Things is going to happen, and our lives are going to get, I think, we're going to enter a little bit where things get a little bit more miserable. When the frustration with with you know, getting stuff to work increases, because we're going to alienate more and more people are going to just not manage this. Because even as good mm. a UX we can do on some of these things, mm. we're doing UX with Vienna product, and and our holistic approach to how does how does the Fitbit Flex fit into mm. you know the whole the lives of everyone? Mm. You're not going to do it. You're going to do it for a certain narrow group. Exactly, a dedicated, loyal, mm. narrow group. Because that's where you earn your money from. So we're uh, actually, we're, as always, with techn- as we've been doing with new technology. Actually, for the past fifteen, twenty years, is we're increasing the technology gap or that mm. gap between people who get it and people who don't get it. And some people haven't even mm. accessed internet yet. Mm. I mean, that's a fact. Mm. And here we are arguing about how our wristbands don't really sync, but we can fix it with if this, then that. Yeah. And so we're we're in so different endpoints of understanding this behavior. So yes, so it's I always it's, complicated. It's, it's always complicated. It's going to get more complicated. Mm. And we're going to, if if anything's going to happen this next year, is I think we're going to become more aware of of just how complicated it is. You think about mm. the trend here with um, um, Pegasus or unicorns mm. that we're getting UX degrees and so on. We're you know we're, we're starting to become more aware of the fact that. Um, we need to get into personality or psychology for websites, persuasion mm. techniques. We need to we need to really bring on board um, art directors and designers for certain mm. aspects. But you need to be a kind of UX planner um, as well. But then someone needs to be a mm. copywriter. You've got to kind of get business buying. I mean, it, it, digital stuff is profoundly complicated and getting more complicated every single minute. And then we need to add the personality. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not going to happen, people. <laughs> if it does, it's going to be a mess. So, what was that we said on the last show that we should keep our podcasts to thirty minutes? Yeah, we're we're thirty-ish minutes. <laughs> What's your prediction for twenty fourteen? I want to mention this one. I have to mention her because I love her prediction. Uh, Ariel Grace Snap. Uh, she wants to reinvent the the direction that technology is taking uh, and remove the addictiveness part. Because she's talking about how. We're so much, we're, yeah, kind of we're so much focused on manipulation today. We want people to do what we want them to do, mm. but we should more focus on supporting them, uh, helping them themselves do what they themselves want mm. to do. Mm. So, and, that's, and what she's saying about gamification, like you said, there, she she wants to replace gamification uh, or that term maybe with a deeper problem solving, uh, which dives into the why behind the human motivation, not how can we make you do what we want you to do, but how can we help you get where you want to go? 
Uh, more of that stuff. And I, I love that. Fundamental UX. Mm. Fundamental UX. Which will tie in sort of to my predictions about... I've been reading this, this book. Well, I read it, uh, The Art of Explanation, which I actually read it last year. Well, that's... No, you mean two years ago. Yeah, mm. I mean two years ago. No, I mean actually last spring, so I don't know okay, what I'm talking about. <laughs> the Art of Explanation. <laughs> oh, the, ir- quite funny, yeah. the irony of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> By Leela Fever. And I'm, I'm thinking more about uh, how we are actually trying more and more to explain to our users what the purpose of our products and services are. Uh, and I think video will be used more. I think that a service like Powtoon, which I hope hope that more people will discover this year, will you actually make these fun videos explaining stuff uh, to people. Powtoon. Powtoon. Oh, okay. We'll yeah. put up a link to that. And so we're putting a larger focus really on helping people understand uh, understand us and so rather than manipulate we want to teach uh, there was a mention about the minimalistic websites I don't like the icons I like the minimalistic side of it I like uh, the single column website we talked about before I'm, I'm surprised yeah. none of these predictions have talked about glanceability Ooh. which will be the buzzword of 2014 did you make that up? No, I didn't. I actually saw it on Facebook the other day and I was surprised I hadn't heard of it. Glanceability. <laughs> Glanceability. Mm. Getting the right information at the right time at a glance. Mm. Yeah, And that that's like that. ties in well with the Internet of Things and, and there's so much information now. If mm. our apparatuses and, and stuff are going to start talking, oh. we don't want them to be talking all the time. We want them to be talking when we need them to be talking. Oh. So and also, give, oh, now we're getting into prediction engines. And, yeah, and this ties in, of course, with Google, Google Glasses. We have to mention yeah. that Google Glass is launching this year, for and people will start buying it, and will people will start becoming more aware of it. Of course, they will be disappointed, uh, but uh, it will sort of tie into that as well. You'll be able to look up. <laughs> is that what you do? You look up <laughs> into the sky, and you see text in the sky. That's that's what you do with Google Glasses, and you can see your email. But that's the first step towards glanceability. I mean, that's... In Google, it will catch on. I don't think so either. No. <laughs> and that's our prediction. <laughs> Grumpy old men say no. <laughs> okay, and, and we'll all have the debates about integrity and stuff, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. That's, so, yeah, the integrity of online mm. sharing, public sharing information. Yes, oh, we will. Yeah. Oh, God, so much to do this year. Mm. Definitely. Yeah. But I think we need to wrap up. Uh, I think so. A half an hour is definitely <laughs> over. Okay, so don't forget to visit uxpodcast.com for the links and resources mentioned in this episode. And if you've enjoyed the show, then please tell your friends and colleagues. You can find us pretty much everywhere, you know, as UX Podcast. iTunes, mm. SoundCloud, yep. Stitcher. Ah, uh, Stitcher. Oh, and Spotify. Have the new episodes got? No, didn't last night. There's still only okay. one episode there. But yeah. there will be more soon. Mm. And we'd love for you to start interacting with us more on Facebook or Google Plus and Twitter and call us on Skype. Yeah, I can't remember the phone number. No, me neither, but we're UX Podcast. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for listening, and remember to keep moving. See you on the other side.
Thank you.